Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's modern mom problems. Dr. Judith Joseph is a board-certified psychiatrist and clinical assistant professor of child and adolescent psychiatry at NYU Langone Medical Center. She has made national television appearances on Good Morning America, The Tamron Hall Show, The Today Show, and The Wendy Williams Show. Dr. Judith recently received a Women of Influence Award from Bella Magazine for her dedication to spreading mental health awareness by using social media. She also has a traditional psychotherapy practice in Midtown Manhattan where she treats both adult and pediatric patients. Dr. Judith, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You know, I, I'm a psychiatrist and I treat children and adults in Manhattan and sometimes families, sometimes couples. And a lot of my work, you know, is really evidence-based. And I find that because there's so few child psychiatrists out there, there's not a lot of really vetted information. So a lot of times, especially during the pandemic, families would be searching the internet and then getting frustrated because they weren't getting the answers they wanted. And because I have such a long wait list, I just thought, okay, well, what's a way to get that information out there and share it with others? So they're getting like evidence-based facts and tips. And that's how my social media was born. And I'm so happy that you enjoyed it. I love it. I absolutely love it. I like once I found out about it, I just like fell down a rabbit hole of like looking like at like post after post after post. And you talk about everything from having narcissistic parents to ADHD to, I mean, it really runs the gamut to, you know, breaking generational cycles, trauma. I mean, you really cover it all. And so thank you for the work that you do, because I know that it's needed not just for myself, but, but, you know, for the loads of loads of people out there that are seeking this type of information. So thank you for that. Thank you. So today we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to be talking about menopause and mental health. And as I just mentioned to you, tomorrow's my birthday. So this is a topic that is sort of near and dear to my heart. I mean, I'm not in menopause yet, but eventually I will be, I'm, you know, one year cl closer to that happening, I guess. And so this seems like a topic that we don't get the opportunity to talk about enough. Can you shed some light on the relationship between what's happening with our bodies and menopause and our mental health. You know, Tara, the reason that we don't talk about this enough is partly because we don't get training about it enough in medical school or residency or any of our training. You know, certain topics are just not covered the way they should be. And I'm hoping to change that. So, you know, there is a link between menopause and mental health because there's a link between your ovaries and your brain. So when there are changes in your ovaries ability to continue making eggs and also changes in hormones like estrogen and progesterone, there are changes in your brain as a result. It doesn't mean that menopause is a mental health issue. And I'm going to say that again, because that's a big myth. People think that when people are going through menopause or perimenopause, that they are crazy and hormonal. This is just not the case that it's due to a mental health issue. The difference is that 
Some people experience mood changes, concentration difficulties, fatigue, you know, that brain fog mm-hmm. and other symptoms that can mimic something like a depression or anxiety, but they're not the same thing. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I recently have been having a lot of brain fog, memory issues. And I'm like, is it is it just me? Am I overwhelmed with work? Do I feel burnt out? Is it anxiety? You know, I'm sort of like grasping at straws of like why I can't find the words that I want to find, why I can't name things how, how I should. And so I'm glad that you're saying that it's not necessarily just me. It may be sort of my journey as a woman right now. And a lot of people who are going through, you know, this in that period of their life and midlife are also going through a lot of changes. So it's hard for them to even acknowledge what's happening because, okay, so a lot of people are going through divorces or they're becoming empty nesters or they're having changes in their careers or moving. And so like, it's really difficult to pinpoint what it is that's causing you to experience these symptoms. And that's why it's important to really arm yourself with information. Because like I said earlier, a lot of doctors don't even know menopause when they see it in the face, right? Like, so I get this a lot. I get patients coming in saying that their doctor referred them to a psychiatrist. They need antidepressants because they're going through a depression or they're having anxiety. So then what I do is I I start to think about it analytically. Okay. What's the difference between depression and menopause? So if you've never had a family history of depression and you've never had a depression in your life and you're having it for the first time in midlife, you got to start thinking about menopause. If you're having physical symptoms like flashbacks, palpitations, sweats, and all these things, okay, that's not you know seen in depression. So you're likely having something related to menopause. If you're having longer periods or shorter periods or changes in your period, guess what? That's not a symptom of depression or anxiety. So think about menopause. So I think there are really clear differences. And if you educate yourself as a patient, you know what to ask your doctor when you go to the office. That's that's so true. I mean, I've noticed probably in the last like two years or so, I've started getting weight in places that I didn't necessarily carry weight. And I'm like, no, come on, come on. I never had weight there in my belly or, you know, extra weight on my hips and stuff. And and I'm sure that is because I'm starting to go through perimenopause. My periods have changed. Like I said, I'm st- struggling to find words and, and thoughts and, and put all those things together. And so it's nice to know that it's like, not that there's something wrong with me or that I'm broken or that I'm like, oh, well, she's just, she's old now. Just put her out to pasture. So, you know, it's interesting that you're like, oh, I was wondering what was happening to me. Imagine if no one ever told you that you were going to get your period. And one day you're having irritability, you're, you're a teenager or a preteen and you're feeling gross. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see something gushing out of you. You're going to be like, what is going on? But people talk about that. They prepare you for that, you know? Only recently are people starting to prepare women for postpartum depression. Back then, you know, like until very recently, it was just expected for you to be happy to be a mother, you know, and now people are only starting to talk openly about it, you know, without as much shame, without as much stigma and share their experiences so they don't feel alone. So we know that when we share, we decrease stigma We don't feel like we're going through it by ourselves. And then also we become more prepared and and empowered because we can tell other people what to expect. And we also know what to expect for our bodies that are changing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Is cognitive ability affected during menopause? It is, and it's highly reported as brain fog. So the reason that this happens, and again, we need a lot of research in this area, is that we know there's a correlation between hormones 
and, you know, the way that the brain functions. So hormonal changes can actually lead to poor sleep. And so your body and your brain starts reacting differently towards melatonin when you're going through the perimenopausal period. And I want to break down these terms because leading up until you fully lose your, your period and you fully lose your, your ovaries ability to, you know, have more eggs, you know, that's a period where you're going through changes. So you may be confused about that. And you're like, well, my period isn't gone, but you're still going through those perimenopausal changes. So what happens is that melatonin changes in the body, you start having issues with sleep. And we all know that sleep is restorative and we need it for concentration. It's thought that this is part of the reason why women go through brain fog. And also part of the reason why once things stabilize, the brain fog goes away, right? The mood issue is the same thing. Like some women become moody, they you know, are more irritable because we know that hormones play a part in terms of your mood. That's why something like postpartum depression exists and premenstrual dysphoric disorder exists, you know, because these hormones do impact your mood. How early does this start though? Because I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to be 43 tomorrow and I feel like it started right when I turned 40. I feel like it was a light switch and all of a sudden it was like, boop, you're 40. Okay, that's it. Every woman has a different experience. And what I would tell my patients is find out from your family members, because a lot of times what happens in our body, similar to when we get our period, if your mom got a period early, you're at higher, you're likely to get your period, you know, earlier. If your parents or your female relatives, genetic relatives went through a perimenopause or menopause early, then you are likely to experience that as well. Other risk factors put you at risk for earlier menopause, such as you know, certain conditions affecting your ovaries. So they're, you know, I, I want my patients to feel armed with this information. So they're asking their family members about it. They're looking at their own medications. A lot of times patients don't even know the names of the medications they're taking or why they're taking it. Sometimes these things can affect your ovaries and the way that your body re- responds to hormonal fluctuations. So, you know, find out what you're more likely to show down the line, and then you feel prepared for when that's going to happen. But you're right for some women, the perimenopausal period lasts longer years. And and then, you know, they go through menopause and they stop having their period. And then, you know, they have a a different timeline than someone else who may have a shorter one. But most women go through menopause between the ages of like 51, 52. But that perimenopausal period could last for years before that or after. Oh, good Lord. Are you saying that I'm going to have like 10 years of this perimenopausal nonsense? I mean... Ah, it it may make sense. I did get my period when I was 10, which I think is on the early side. And my mother also got her period when she was 10, again, on the early side. And that was like all those years ago. I know females are starting to get their period a little bit earlier now than they had been in previous generations. But I don't know. My mom was on the early side of that. And thanks, mom. So was I. So so maybe I'm on the earlier side of of menopause too. I don't know. But wow, 10 years seems like a long time. I mean, data has shown, some data has shown that early periods are a sign for earlier menopause. So like, you know, that's why I'm saying it's important to arm yourself with the knowledge, know your family history. And this is across the board for anything, mental health issues, physical issues, knowing your family history and knowing your own medical history. I mean, you're just giving your doctor so much knowledge to make a better informed decision. And you're just setting yourself up better, you know, in the long and short term. And also like, you know, knowing yourself is empowering in it, you know, in itself. So these are things that you should think about when you go to see a doctor. 
I've been trying to work on mindfulness with my son by introducing him to meditation techniques. And in doing this, I realized, you know, Tara, you could really benefit from meditation too. What else is a better way to start good habits than by modeling them, right? So I started listening to the Women's Meditation Network. It has all different types of podcasts from anxiety meditation to sleep to morning meditation. Personally, I really enjoy the daily affirmations because they're just about 10 minutes long, which is just right for me and my schedule. Whether you're an experienced meditator or you're just getting started, check out Women's Meditation Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, I think a lot of times women aren't necessarily armed with the right questions to ask because either maybe they feel shy when they're in the moment. They're like, no, no, everything's fine. I'm good. Okay, thanks. Like, let's just let me go. But I think it's really important to have a list of questions to go to the doctor with and say, hey, I'm struggling with brain fog or I'm starting to see this, you know, strange spotting in between my period, you know, whatever they, ha- I'm gaining weight in other ways. And so I think it's really important to, Be prepared when you sit down to meet with your clinician. And be aware of your own biases, right? Because I think years ago when you thought of menopause, you thought of, oh, I guess I'm not sexy anymore. Or like my reproductive organs are not functioning like a youthful person. You know, I think there's a lot of stigma and shame around even admitting these things. So that, you know, compounds your ability to ask for help because you're less likely to ask for help about something you're ashamed of talking about, you know? I think that when we have this community where we talk about these things openly, it destigmatizes it and it allows us to all feel as if we're, we're going through it together. There's less shame here. So let's talk about it and let's get the right information and advocate for ourselves better. Dr. Judith, I want to ask you about a concept from a book that I'm reading right now. I'm reading a book called From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Your Life. It's written by a gentleman named Arthur Brooks. And it's a great read, by the way. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. What he's talking about in his book is that obviously there are different seasons of a life, right? And as you're moving through your seasons and you get towards the later half of your seasons, your career changes. And particularly in professional fields, whether it's medicine, law, other professional fields where people tend to be strivers, they start to have this existential crisis with their careers, right? You get to be full professor and then you say, okay, now what? And you don't know if your career's over, and I'm using this in quotes, over at a certain point, or you know what is the the next pivot for you professionally. So in that book, he explores that concept, and he also talks about how people can change their habits to then shift their priorities to focus on their mental health as they get older. So I'm asking you as as a couple things. One as a woman, two, as a medical doctor, and and three, as someone who I really trust, like what do you think that we could do to shift our habits as we get older to really be able to focus on our mental health so that we don't think, oh, well, our career's over and that's just it, pack it in, send me to a home. I think that what he's asking about is deeply rooted in these concepts of positive psychology, because a lot of psychology is focused on the negative, like, oh, how do I treat my stress or my anxiety or my depression? 
and not necessarily how do I cultivate my sense of happiness, purpose, and meaning. And I think that what he's getting at is this concept that when X happens, then I'll be happy. Because we know from research that most people who think that way are typically not satisfied or happy when that X happens. It's always going to be something else. They're constantly chasing this moving gold post. And a part of my research now, because I run a lab in Manhattan, is really focused on that missing joy. Because I think that a lot of us work, 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 and we busy ourselves so much so that we don't feel that emptiness and that lack of joy. And what he's probably getting at in that book is, okay, well, once you reach this goalpost in life where you don't have to prove yourself, where you don't have to work as hard, and you start to actually sit still a little longer, you feel empty. And, you know, there's something that I use called the five V's to, to thriving and not just surviving that I use with my pediatric patients and my adult patients. And it starts with validation. So the first part is acknowledging how you feel. If you don't acknowledge how you feel, how can you do anything about it? And I encourage my patients to look in the mirror every day and name the feeling rather than minimizing it. Look yourself in the eye and name how you feel. The second thing is venting. We all need a way to get rid of this stress to like share what we're going through. And venting is the scientific term that really explains how pressure moves from one setting to another. So we're letting that pressure out. You can vent to a deity. You can you know pray. You can talk to a faith leader. You can talk to a therapist, a friend, but really expressing your emotions allows you to feel heard. The third is values. What brings you meaning and purpose in life? It doesn't have to be great. It could be something as small as I want to give back to my local community coffee shop. So I'm going to choose to you know buy coffee from there and not from a major chain every day. Or it could be an organization that you spend your time you know giving your resources to. It could be time or money. Really invest in those values. And the fourth is the vitals, the part that no one wants to hear. Like, okay, you got to eat well, you got to exercise, you got to get you know movement. And we all know that we have to do it. Do we do it? Not all the time. So we really have to pay attention to these things like sleep hygiene as well. And the fifth is vision. This is my favorite one because I feel like we all need something to look forward to. Yes, it's important to be present. And you know what keeps us moving forward rather than getting stuck in the past. So put small things on the calendar. It could be a reunion that you're going to go to. It could be, you know, a Manny Petty that you've been putting off, you know, or a group outing with friends, but put something on the calendar to keep you moving forward so that you don't get stuck. This episode is brought to you by Modern Mom Style Box. Upgrade your wardrobe and enjoy unlimited styles for just $60 a month. Modern Mom Style Box is the first rental clothing subscription designed exclusively for moms and moms-to-be. Get started today with a free trial. Use promo code PTO. Yeah, I love that advice. I love that advice. My mom right now is sort of in this transition where she can retire, she's choosing not to retire. She just started a new job that she's not entirely sure about. But I know that it goes back to what you were saying before about her feeling empty if she were to retire. And she doesn't know how she would fill her time. She doesn't know what would be that spark and what would give her that joy. So 
to sort of kick the can a bit. She's like, well, let me start a new job and I'll get to hang out with the people and I'll learn something new and I'll be challenged in this way. And I love that for her. I really do. But on the flip side, physically, it's challenging for her. And she calls me and she vents and, and she's doing all those all those five Vs, maybe not all of them, maybe like two out of the five Vs each day. But I, I think it is important for people of a certain age to really reflect on, like you said, what is my joy? What is my spark? What's going to get me up out of bed when I don't have to go to a job for a paycheck? It sounds like she would benefit from spending a bit more time thinking about her values and her vision, right? Mm -hmm. What is it that gives you a sense of like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to go do this. You know, like I have this passion and I just, I can't wait for the next meeting, for the next organization, you know, for the next meetup, because I feel so strongly about this. It's giving my, my, my life a sense of purpose. And then that vision, like, what do I have to look forward to? What's on your calendar? You know, like, I feel like if she probably spends more time there, she should, should understand what she needs a little better rather than busying herself, right? Because busying yourself is not good for the vitals, the, you know, the, the part that we're talking about resting, right? Getting movement in and spending time nurturing your body with the right nutrients. You know, she's not, she's not spending enough time on the vitals. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that is absolutely true. And as far as vision for her, I know it's anytime she sees her grandson, that is that is what she looks forward to. She likes me too, but she really likes her grandson. <laughs> Sometimes she'll jokingly say like, gosh, if I had a kid, I wish it was just like him. And I was like, what What, what about me? I, I am your child. <laughs> but yeah, a lot, that a lot of my older patients, their values are their family. Yeah. A lot of my older, they, they've gotten back to, okay, I'm retiring let me focus on the values part. That's my family. So I'm going to have a closer relationship with my grandchildren. I'm going to share with them stories about when I was a child. I'm going to leave some legacy for them. We're going to start these really like retro projects like the time capsule. A lot of my families have started doing that with the older generation so that there's something to look forward to because you can build in that time capsule vision with the values, right? You dig it up in the future. It's something to look forward to together. So there are many ways that you can revisit the five V's to add, you know, more to your life. So you're, you're thriving and not just surviving. Absolutely. I love the idea about the time capsule, that it's such a great way to get everyone together. And, and then you're able to show off everyone's individual personalities. So I really, I love that one. Thank you for that suggestion. <laughs> you're welcome. So what are some key takeaways aside from the five V's, which I think are incredible. And I just made a note of it here because I want to start to implement that into my own life. What are some key takeaways that you would share about protecting our mental health and as we age and go through menopause? I think that it's important to, again, learn. Learn about what you're going through physiologically. When you go to the doctor's office, it should not be the first time you're learning about what these changes are and why they occur. Try to arm yourself with that knowledge so that when you're sitting with your doctor, you're not overwhelmed because a doctor will, you know, spit out some facts and you're just gonna be like, oh my gosh, I can't take this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> know your family history and your own medical history, like know yourself, right? Because if your doctor has that information, they can make an informed decision, have the right questions to ask. You know, a lot of times we'll pick out a car and spend months thinking about it or like redecorate our homes and we'll vet our designers and 
we ask all these questions, but when we go see a doctor, we're just, oh, they have an MD. Okay. They must be good. No. (laughs) Ask the doctor, are you comfortable with this? What do you know about menopause? How many cases have you treated? How successful have you been? You know, it's your body and your brain advocate for yourself and find the right fit for you. Sometimes the doctor will be like, actually, I really don't know this. Let me send you to someone else, you know? And then you save yourself a lot of time and, you know, intrusive, invasive procedures. And so I think that there are things that you can do for yourself that empowers you, but having that knowledge and knowing what to expect goes a long way. When we know as women how our bodies are going to change, we can start preparing for this in our 20s and 30s, you know? like what you were saying earlier about your body changing in terms of where your the fat distribution is. We know that that's related to menopause. So what can you do? You can start doing these specific exercises, weight-bearing exercises that prevents osteoporosis or that helps your body to, you know, store fat differently or so that you feel differently. You know, like certain dietary things that can be done to help your body prepare for this transition. You should be learning about these in your 20s and 30s, not in your 40s and 50s when you're going through it, right? Not that you can't learn it then, but you know, if you know what to expect, you're prepared and being prepared is so empowering. I think that's the key. I have one last question and it's totally like going away from what we were talking about with menopause and, and mental health, but I love your content. And how do you, A, come up with the ideas for your videos and B, when do you find time to shoot them? You see patients all day, every day. I do. I see patients all day. And I also run a lab where I do research all day long. Now, I only spend about two to three hours a week shooting. And it's usually when I'm done with my patients. And I get a lot of my ideas from clinical experience because I treat children, adolescents, adults, older patients in research and clinical practice. So like the the content is endless. <laughs> Let's put it that way. There's always something, you know. <laughs> I tell I tell my 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 social media agent, Johanna, I'm like, okay, what do you want to talk about this week? And we open up the DSM-5, which is the Bible for psychiatry, we flip the page, we're like, okay, let's do this page. It's endless. And mental health is so interesting. I just find that, you know, it's never done. It's not like you can say, oh, this has been done. No, it's never done. Because you add the patient's cultural background to it, their unique interpersonal relationships to it, their profession, like, it's just, it's just never completely done. So the content is endless. (laughs) And you add your own special flair to it too. Cause I feel like you do it in such a different way in such a better way, if I say so myself, than <laughs> a lot of other people out there. And, and that's why I think your audience is like, yes, yes, Dr. Judith. Like we absolutely love what, what you're doing. Is there like one piece of content that really stood out that resonated with so many people that people were just like jumping up and down about it? Definitely my content on high functioning depression. I think that when people think of depression, they think of someone lying in a bed crying and like with no career who everyone's taking care of them. And it's the opposite, you know, because I work in Manhattan and I, my office is located in a place where there are people who are high functioning and sometimes some of the best of what they do and they feel empty. What you were talking about earlier, that like lack of joy. And there's something called anhedonia, which I'm doing research on in my lab right now, where you p- people busy themselves to the point where Everyone on the outside thinks they're so great. They're doing so much. They're everyone's rock. But those very people, if they sat still for just a second, how empty they would feel, how hopeless they would feel. And I think that those reels have hit the hardest. And I was surprised at how much they resonate with people. So that definitely that's the topic that I think, you know, I'm focused on right now in my research and also just building my expertise around that. 
thank you for shedding light on it. It's so important to have those conversations because I think that's something that people either take for granted or just sort of like poo poo and they just think like, oh yeah, they have it together. And it's one of those things where it's like, you always need to check on your strong friends. Exactly. And it's usually women. I, I tell people all the time, like a mother can't afford to not be functioning. What will happen to her kids? You know, what will happen to her career? Everyone depends on her. But she suffers too. So I think that it really hit home with a lot of people. Yeah. Dr. Judith, tell everyone where we can find you online. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok, Dr. Judith Joseph. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.